Hello and welcome to the Week 4 Football Outsiders Coach Ranking Show. I'm Ian O'Connor, Senior Data Analyst at Football Outsiders. Joining me as he is every week is Vince Verheif, Football Outsiders Assistant Editor. Today we're going to be talking about the big game from last week, the Bills against the Dolphins, some of those more surprising games like the Colts over the Chiefs, Jaguars over the Chargers. We're going to look at some of the biggest or the best and worst decisions from the past week and look at some games that we're looking forward to this week uh, from a coaching perspective as well as on the field. Before we dive into that, just want to remind you all about that special deal we have going on at Underdog Fantasy. Play on Underdog Fantasy with us. You can double your first deposit up to $100 using promo code OUTSIDERS. So even with NFL best ball season over, Underdog does have other user-friendly game formats that spice up all the NFL action. Try their Battle Royale, which is a six-round best ball style draft with similar chances, simpler chances to win than with traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You can also try their Pick'em games where you can wager on players' chances to go higher or lower than their projected stat lines. Mike Tanner and I did that on our uh, Monday recap show for the Monday Night Football game. Went five for five and won ten times our money. You can do the same with some of our picks and some of your own picks. And you can do that even in states where traditional prop betting currently is not available. Underdog is the fastest growing fantasy site around, so join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use that promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. That's a $300 using promo code OUTSIDERS. Vince, now that we've got the ad read out of the way, why don't we jump into the big story from week three, and that was the Bills against the Dolphins. Now, the Dolphins slowed down the Bills uh, Josh Allen and the Bills, it seemed kind of on the surface. They lost, obviously. Didn't put up as many points as usual. Josh Allen had 400 yards passing, but it was on 63 attempts. That's a career high for him. Nine more than last year's game against Tampa and 12 more than that week one Pittsburgh game. He had 6.98 adjusted yards per attempt versus 10.45 and 8.61 in the last two weeks. And those Bills drives went touchdown, fumble, touchdown, punt. Not a bad start. End of half. They made a field goal, missed a field goal, turnover on downs, and then the end of the game. So it seems like a lot of success there. But what did you see from that game that that uh, made the or let the Bill or sorry the Dolphins uh, beat the Bills basically hand them their first loss? Well, Kill Clinton did a great uh, write up of this game. There's any any given Sunday column up at FootballOutsiders.com went up on a Tuesday afternoon. So the Dolphins uh, in 20, um, 2021 were. One of the most aggressive defense, I think the most aggressive defense in the league last year in terms of blitzes. And through about two and a half games, they were right on track, even with the new coaching staff. And they were just sent in the house as often as anyone would. And it worked here in the first half. They gave up, you know, four drive, five drives, you know, two touchdowns, forced a punt, and uh, let the Bills get in the field position at the end there before the uh, uh, spike was bobbled. But the big reason it worked is, that second drive when they got a strip sack deep in Buffalo territory to set up a Dolphins, set up a Dolphins touchdown and uh, help keep the game close. So it was, it was, as you'd expect with lots of blitzes, kind of kind of boom and bust with the, the, the big turnover, but also the two touchdown drives and another the cross midfield. Then after halftime, they totally switched things up and they went ultra conservative. They dropped everybody back. They let Allen check down over and over again and hoped the Bills would make mistakes in critical situations. And it turns out they did. Uh, there's those four, four second half drives. We had the field goal when they couldn't convert in scoring range. A missed field goal when they really couldn't convert in scoring range. Uh, failed fourth and two. They were down by four at the end there, so they really had no choice but to go for it. And uh, couldn't get it done. And that led, of course, to the butt punt, which I'm sure we've all discussed many times by now. And they had one last chance to uh, 
one last chance to get back in this. And again, they couldn't get the ball spiked in technically field goal range. Now it would have been got it written down here. Uh, bah, bah, bah. A 58 yard field goal at the end of game, at the end of the game, if they could have spiked it and a 42 yard field goal at the end of the half, if they could have spiked it. So neither of those is a gimme by any means, but that's two field goal tries. They didn't get because they had trouble just simply spiking the ball at the end of the game. And Tyler Bass is one of the, the better kickers in the league. Got a great leg. Could have completely changed this game, obviously, six points when you lose by, I think it was four. Uh, or no, it ended up being 21-19 because they got the safety, right? So we ended up – but still, that's a, a huge difference, obviously. Now, that shift uh, for the Dolphins defensively, do you think that was just based on, you know, what they saw? He said they got the strip sack. That's kind of who they are is a big blitzing team. But – Buffalo had success for the most part. Do you think that was something they said, hey, let's back off a little bit and, and make them work a little bit harder here? I think so. And uh, I, I looked at Buffalo's DVOA by half. Their offensive DVOA was 8.9% in the first half, which is, you know, anything over zero is good. Mm-hmm. So even with that strip sack, it was a, it was good. Now, their DVOA actually went up in the second half to uh, 13.4%, but that's with zero turnovers as opposed to that you know bad fumble. Their success rate in the second half dipped from 59% to 53%, which is not a huge change, but it shows you that Allen Allen and the Bills were struggling more often and not moving the ball as consistently as they did in the the first half. So, um, you know, it's a super close game, and and I think it's fair to say the breaks were Miami's way in this one for the most part. Uh, But when when games are that close, that kind of margin can, can make a difference. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's more um, more they, they they saw what they were doing was having mixed results, and they were hoping that the the, uh, the 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 soft zones would play better. And in the end, it worked out for them. Yeah, I ended up winning the game. And I talked about last week, you know, as I've mentioned a couple times, coming from uh, the edge sports background, looking at fourth down decisions, win probability. That McDermott has been very good on fourth downs the last few years. He remained aggressive in this one. Three fourth down goes. Uh, all of them were fourth and twos. One was at the Miami two in the first half that they scored a touchdown on. That was about a two and a half percent increase in win probability there. One at the Miami thirty, which was a ended up being a first down, and then that one at the end of the game you mentioned. Fourth and goal at the two uh, ended up being a turnover on downs, but forced the the Dolphins into a bad situation and and resulted in a safety. So they knew really field goals weren't going to win this game. Uh, it turns out, like we said, a couple field goals uh, in a couple situations could have won them the game, but it ended up only being five total touchdowns in this game. But those decisions by Sean McDermott directly led to two touchdowns in the first half, the, the first fourth and goal at the two, and then at the 30-yard line where they bypassed a field goal to get a first down. The Dolphins really weren't faced with any of those uh, tough decisions. They had one that was a fourth and short in their own territory. They didn't go for it. Um, obviously, you don't see that a whole lot, especially early in the game, unless you're Brandon Staley. And then uh, that was really about it. We didn't have anything else that they, they agreed with. I don't think they had any times that they went for it on fourth down. Uh, unless I've missed one, but they really weren't in situation like Buffalo at the end of the game where they had to. Um, so overall, though, you know, McDermott did what he needed to do to keep them in the game. Uh, no, staying aggressive against a team like Miami, who we know we saw last week can put up a ton of points. But uh, Miami came out ahead in this one for all the reasons that you said. And then another game I talked about at the top that we talked the Colts beating the Chiefs. The, the improbable happened in Indy. Not really, not many gave them a chance. I know Tom and I both on our Thursday uh, fantasy and betting show, uh, pick the Chiefs, especially given I, the way the Colts have played. I think we all pick the Chiefs, right? I had the Chiefs as my best bet for the week in uh, the football outsider staff picks, which, again, proves why I personally don't like gambling because I lose a lot. But 
Uh, points I, think I, I think I picked the Chiefs as well, and it, it's as much as that of that that I do. It still just shows you, like even or like as they say, there is no sure thing in yeah, sports no. betting. But, go ahead. Oh no, no, there's not. And 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 you know, when you look at upsets like this, the, usually uh, there's either a big defensive score or a lot of special teams mistakes. And this time we saw Kansas City with a lot of special teams mistakes. Uh, they had a muff punt that set up a four-yard Indy, Indianapolis touchdown drive. They got a backup kicker who missed an extra point and a field goal. And the weirdest one is when they had a fourth and 11 uh, in Indianapolis territory. It would have been a 41-yard field goal. Would have given, the, given them a seven-point lead. Instead, on fourth and 11, they tried a fake field goal uh, with Tommy Townsend throwing a pass to a covered receiver. I think it was in, incomplete and a penalty anyway. It wouldn't have picked up a first down if he had completed it. Just a really, really, really bizarre decision there for a bunch of reasons. If, if the biggest one is, first, well, two things. First of all, fourth and eleven is not fourth and one. That's a right. long conversion to try. And I know you, your kicker is obviously having issues, and and, and uh, you don't have faith in him. But if you want to try fourth and eleven, you have Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is really, really good at throwing footballs. Tommy Especially Townsend, I don't even not even look at. <laughs> yeah. I don't have Tommy Townsend's numbers in front of me, but I think he's worse. So that 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 confused that that decision baffled me. And in a, in a game as close as this one, I mean, I can't guarantee you if Mahomes would could have converted because again, fourth and eleven is really far. But um, th- th- this uh, a, a strange decision that certainly was not the best option under the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, that's something we've seen that's been really surprising to me this year is with Andy Reid. He's made a lot of these kind of mistakes that you normally see him go for. He had passed up a chance to go forward on fourth and goal with the Indy two, uh, sent out the field goal unit, ended up with a delay of game that made it a fourth and seven. They still kicked the field goal. But sending out the field goal unit there in the first place um, through three weeks, he's pretty far down. I think only Nathaniel Hackett is worse uh, when it comes to uh, net win probability gain and lost on or gain on fourth down so far. And wow. this past week, you know, we had he had those couple errors and he was last this week. So it's really surprising. I give him kind of I don't know if I say the benefit of the doubt, but I would expect him to turn it around. Like I think I mentioned last week or the week before when we were talking about them against the Chargers. A lot of times early in games or early in the season, we've seen him kind of go err on the side of caution and go a little bit more conservative. But when it really matters at the end of games and when they need to to ice games and put it away um, and even in other situations, we see. Andy Reid make the right call. He's finished top, well, I think it's top five in our coach rankings the last few years. So give him, uh, I, I expect him to improve there and get better like he always does. But it's been a little bit of a head scratcher here in the first few weeks to see some of those decisions um, that he's made, especially in this one, especially that one you just mentioned, the fourth and 11. Yeah, and there were some other things here. The Colts uh, got the ball back with uh, about eight minutes and change left on the clock down by one score and proceeded to run a 16-play, 76-yard drive. They used up almost all the time. Only left, Kansas, only left Kansas City 24 seconds at the end. And the longest play on the drive only gained 14 yards. They were just getting six, four, eight yards at a time. Uh, it was a dumb penalty on Chris Jones that let Indianapolis convert a fourth and 14. A personal foul call in a very, very bad situation. But the biggest issue is, as they just kept marching time, marching down the field and bleeding clock and bleeding clock and bleeding clock, at some point, if you're Kansas City, you got to force this issue. You got to start getting aggressive. You got to dial up some blitzes and 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 get aggressive. And 
The worst case scenario is they score, but now you have time left to answer. Right. Uh, instead, they just let them chew up clock, and they saw that worst case scenario, which is they scored anyway, and they still didn't have time to answer. <laughs> and uh, the other defensive strategy that Indianapolis had here, and I, I don't think this is like a magic spell. I don't think just doing this will work week in and week out. Patrick Mahomes does a lot of things well. Uh, so you, there's not one thing you can just take away and say, okay, we'll beat him now. Because usually he'll make the other stuff work with it too. But one thing the Chiefs love to do, they love to throw the, uh, you know, the in-breaking routes to Travis Kelsey, the big tight end, their, their best receiver. But they also love to take their speedy wide receivers, get them across the field and get them, you know, those, those, those drag routes, running across underneath the coverage, and then pick up some easy yak. And the Colts took both of those things away. Uh, Patrick Mahomes going down the middle, only two of nine for 11 yards in the entire game. There was an uh, interception there, although to be fair, it was a desperate situation at the end, so that's not a huge deal. But taking that away for the Colts for one week worked, and with that and all the mistakes the Chiefs made in the kicking game, it was enough to get a very surprising win. Yeah, and uh, moving on to a team, another team that got a surprising win this weekend, I think for a lot of people, is uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Doug Peterson has really turned them around so far. We talked about it uh, in the Almanac. We've talked about it on a lot of shows that we've done this year so far. Everyone in the NFL really has talked about it. And that's Jacksonville just looks exponentially better this year without Urban Meyer. There's really no no shocker there. So, Vince, what have the Jaguars done so far that's really propelled them? Their second best in DVOA through four week, three weeks. I think fifth on offense, fourth in defense, or top six in both. And they've looked just extremely uh, competent, I guess, compared yeah, to yeah, last no, year. You're right. <laughs> extremely competent is a good way to put it. <laughs> Because they weren't that last year. They were extremely incompetent. Just showing up looking like they're ready to play a football game is a massive up, upgrade from where they were last year. Um, you know, I kind of a deep dive here. Just just what the difference has been uh, from going for Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson beyond just they're, they're winning more, scoring more points. So the biggest differences, honestly, are the stuff we don't see on Sundays. It's Monday to Saturday, getting this team ready. Because, again, they did not look like a professional football team last year. They look like a barnstorming 1920s team that showed up not knowing each other until game day and just trying to make stuff happen. Um, from a schematic standpoint, the biggest difference is what they've done with the wide receivers because Urban Meyer came in and uh, uh, put together a roster that didn't really have any wide receivers. He got a bunch of kick returners and just counted on throwing them the ball and breaking 500 tackles a game. There are top receivers last year. You had aging Marvin, Marvin Jones masquerading as wide receiver one. And then you look down the rest of the roster, LaVisca Chenault, Laquan Treadwell, Jamal Agnew, Tavon Austin in 2021, for God's sake. And that's not even counting Travis Etienne, who was technically a running back. But when they drafted him, the plan was to make him a kind of hybrid, you know, runner-receiver type. Uh, and of course, he got injured, which is not a Ramirez fault. That's just bad fortune. But the point is, they wanted to get another Yak player when that's already all they had in the entire roster. And you look at these guys. You know, I mentioned Marvin Jones' age. Uh, LaVisca Chenault is, is just a kick returner. He's in Carolina now. He's only had two targets all year. Now, fair play to him. He turned those two targets into 90 yards and a touchdown. But it's not like he's a it's not like he's a major part of the offense there. And it's not like Carolina's loaded with a bunch of other options either. Uh, Laquan Treadwell's out of the league now. Uh, Tavon Austin's out of the league now. Jamal Agnew was a is a tremendous kickoff returner, tremendous kick returner, great special teamer. But he was mostly a defensive back in Detroit. Four years in Detroit, they threw in the ball 24 times. Urban Meyer says, 
Let's throw him 39 passes in 10 games. What could possibly go wrong? And the answer is, like most things in the Urban Meyer tenure, everything went wrong. So <laughs> the, the, this, the, this team-building strategy of just getting a whole roster of kick returners, throwing them short routes and sitting them back and waiting for them to make defenders look silly, that works when you're at Ohio State and Florida, when you have a built-in huge recruiting edge over your uh, opposition. In the NFL, it's a joke. It looked like a joke. It was a joke, only except for the part where it's not funny. So that's what's going on in the, the Jacksonville offense. Now, I should note, I should note, just for all being uh, panting about all this, Trevor Lawrence's average depth of target is actually down this year. He's actually throwing more short passes than he did a year ago. But again, they've been playing with a lead. They haven't been behind, this, behind in the second half throwing heel Marys all the time. He's got Christian Kirk, a bona fide NFL wide receiver. Uh, he's got Zay Jones and Marvin Jones as the next two guys. That's not great. This is not the greatest show on turf France or anything, but they're both better than you know the the the, the guys that Lawrence was throwing to last year. So that's that is the biggest change uh, from an X's and O's standpoint from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson, and the biggest change in the offense uh, uh, that the Jaguars have had. Now I got to be fair. As much as it pains me to do this, I must be fair to Urban Meyer. Uh, there's more, a lot more talent elsewhere in this Jacksonville team. They added Brandon Scherf on the offensive line, drafted Luke Fortner. That's two starters on the offensive line. And as much as everyone's talking about Trevor Lawrence, because it's fun to talk about Trevor Lawrence, yeah. uh, the strength of this team right now is the defense. In particular, by DVOA, the best run defense in the league right now. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Derek Klassen wrote a film room piece that went up on Wednesday afternoon at footballoutsiders.com, looking at first-round rookie Devin Lloyd, Free agent signee, I I, I butchered this, Foyer Aluakun, I think. Those two new new linebackers are the team's top tacklers. Trayvon Walker is the top overall draft pick. He has not shown up on the box score yet. I don't think he has any sacks and is not making a ton of tackles. But when you watch the film, you see the impact he's having, setting the edge, even dropping back in coverage sometimes. So there's been a major talent upgrade over this team. Uh, And and Jacksonville's offseason – which already looked like a winner coming into the year has has come up come up roses. It's been better than anyone could have possibly hoped for. Yeah, sitting at two and one, and like you mentioned, uh, we've talked about the last couple. We could easily be three and zero, maybe should be three and zero, but the best DVOA for a Jaguars team through three games ever. So they're looking, they're fun to watch. One of those great stories, and um, you know, like Aaron said earlier in the off season, that wouldn't be a surprise to see the Jaguars come out and win eight, nine games. We didn't really expect it, but just by looking at all, all the things that you said, just the improved talent, the coaching staff that, that actually knows what they're doing. And, and you, you said, as much as you hate to, to give some uh, credit, to be fair to Urban Meyer, I'm going to do the same because he actually was pretty aggressive last year in our coach rankings too. He, he was in the top 10, maybe even top five, if I remember correctly for there for a while. Um, that's about all that he did. Uh, well, it seemed like was going for it in the right situations for the most part. Uh, but Doug Peterson has really taken that over, and we know that that's who he is. We've seen that. Uh, we saw that in Philly a ton. And he had a few more, like each of the first couple of games, he's had leads and has kept his foot on the pedal as far as being aggressive on those fourth downs. And this week, he had three of them. I mean, one, this was early in the second half, didn't really have a huge lead yet, only up six, but turned up fourth and one into a 50-yard rushing touchdown for James Robinson. Uh, earlier in the game, had a fourth and five at the Chargers 39, passed up a long field goal or even uh, a short punt, uh, not wanting to go for it, not really wanting to kick a really long field goal. And then late in the third quarter, had a fourth and one at the Chargers sixth. Already up 13, you can take a field goal to make it 16. Uh, I know that's a two-score game, but 
like we've said uh, a handful of times over the last couple of years, 16 points is it's a two score game, but it's really not because it's so hard to get two touchdowns and two right. extra or two two point conversions without the other team scoring. But still, just making the right decisions, uh, not only having them prepared, but but putting them in the right in the best position to win to maximize their chances of winning by going for it on on fourth downs. And he's been really great at that so far. Kind of picked up where he left off uh, over there in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. So really great to see there. Now we're going to move to a city that things are not going well for, and that's Las Vegas. Uh, does anything stand out to you from the Raiders? Like what's going on out there? What's contributed to their 0-3 start? Is there anything, they, any fixes that they can make, or is this kind of what they're going to be this year? Obviously not going to go 0-17, but. So one of the things I like to think I'm good at as an analyst is telling you when I am wrong, and I'm wrong about things all the time. I thought the New York Giants were going to get the first-round draft pick, and they've already won two games. I thought the Rustin Wilson Broncos were going to be good on offense and bad on defense. I got that backwards. But sometimes I'm right. And I'm not afraid to tell you when I am right. <laughs> and uh, we did our staff picks. My pick for team to overachieve and beat his DVOA projection was the Jacksonville Jaguars. And my pick to underachieve and fall short of his DVOA projection was the Las Vegas Raiders. So I'm, I'm two for two on that front at least. Uh, so my questions for this team were mostly on defense. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe was still very effective last year. They uh, uh, signed, I think they signed Chandler Jones and then traded a Gawkway away. I forget the exact uh, 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 timeline of how that all went down. But they were counting on Chandler Jones to be a big impact defender. He's been a disaster. He has zero sacks. He's only made six tackles in, uh, in, in three games. The Raiders are next to last in adjusted sack rate. Although I should point out the team that is dead last is Chandler's old team, the Arizona Cardinals, so they're, they're still missing him somehow. Yep, uh, the Raiders only have two sacks in three games. They're both by Max Crosby. So here's the thing about the Raiders and the way the defense is built. Patrick Graham's the first-year coordinator in Las Vegas. He came from the Giants. He doesn't want to blitz. He wants to rush four and drop seven and count on that front four getting pressure and avoid giving up big plays. Uh, pro football reference list the Raiders having 31 blitzes in three games. And that's not even counting like times the defense blitzed. That's times a specific defender blitz. So if two guys blitz on one play, that counts as two instead of one. Uh, for comparison's sake, the Dolphins also played three games. They have 61 blitzes, nearly, nearly double. So this is a very, very conservative scheme. And when you have a zone defense that's not getting pass rush and uh, quarterbacks are having all day to sit back and work the underneath, what happens is, the quarterbacks, superficially, their cover stats look pretty good because there's they're dropping deep and the stuff is opening up underneath them. It's the linebackers and safeties that are suffering. Uh, linebackers, Jayon Brown, uh, Divine Diablo, safeties, Jonathan Abrams, Ron Morig, all four of them have already given up over 100 yards receiving uh, in coverage as, as targeted receivers. Uh, the Raiders are 23rd in pass defense DVOA, and part of that is the lack of pass rush. That, that When you don't get sacks, your DVOA is going to suffer. Uh, in coverage, they're 29th in DVOA against what we call other wide receivers, which is anyone other than the top two. So the slot guys, the fourth guys, they're 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 feasting on this uh, Raiders defense. Uh, 29th in DVOA against running backs in the passing game. So they get, again, linebackers are being targeted. They're they're they're, they're left alone in the, in the hook zones with too much space to cover and not enough or too much time to cover it. Uh, running backs against the Raiders, 64.3 receiving yards per game. That's second most in the league, and this is what happens, like, again, when you're playing a zone scheme and your pass rush is no good. So what can they do? They can try blitzing more. 
because they're again dead last or, or near the bottom in, in in blitz rate. They can try it. And here's the problem: if you do that, that's going to expose your cornerbacks. Now I mentioned uh, the cornerbacks' individual cover stats and for Las Vegas are pretty good because the teams are just throwing elsewhere. You know, you don't need to throw it at the cornerbacks. But if you start blitzing guys, that's going to expose Nate Hobbs, who was next to last in success rate when he was targeted last year among qualifying cornerbacks. It's going to expose Rocky Seen, who has the coolest name in the NFL, but he was the third corner in Indianapolis for years and really couldn't even you know, maintain a starting job there. Uh, now he's being counted on to be a top defender in Las Vegas. Anthony Averett came over from Baltimore, was supposed to be a starter. He broke his thumb in week one. He's been out. They said at the time to be out at least a month, so we're still looking at probably at least another week or two until he gets back. And blitzing more is just going to expose those guys to, to, to the, you know, the stud receivers and quarterbacks they're going to face in the AFC West years is that the Cortland Suttons are going to have a big game. Uh, the Mike Williams is going to have a big game. Uh, wh- whichever Kansas City wide receiver is uh, Patrick Mahomes binky that week is going to have a big game. Um, so they're kind of stuck. This is the team they've built. This is the team they are. And um, like you say, they're not going to go 0-17. Uh, at this point, I doubt they'll have a, I very much doubt they'll make the playoffs. I, they may, they probably won't have a winning record. Um, and short term, I don't see any easy solutions. So basically, they're they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't, because someone's getting exposed on that defense. And unless yeah. Devontae Adams and Derek Carr can put up sixty points a game, <laughs> they're going to struggle. Yeah, which is exactly what I thought would happen. I thought uh, I, I thought Devontae Adams would be you know a fantasy wide receiver one maybe. I thought Derek Carr would be a good pick. Uh, I thought Darren Waller would be a good fantasy guy. Uh, I think, you know, I don't think he's doing that well, actually. But um, instead, um, well, it's not really instead. I thought they'd have to score 30 points per game to win, and it's looking like that may be true. Yeah, and just not looking good. And uh, you mentioned a lot of different stats there, uh, passes uh, against other wide receivers, things like that. For those of you that are watching, you can get access to those same stats with an FO Plus subscription at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. That also gives you access to all of our data that drops on Mondays. Instead of uh, if you don't have an FO Plus subscription, you got to wait until Tuesday to get all of that, uh, all of the premium stats. We also have access with that to our NFL picks against the spread and straight up, and those are ranked by confidence. You get some great articles, you uh, and, and stats, some fantasy rankings. Get a lot of good stuff there, as well as an ad-free experience. So again, that's at FO. That's FO Plus at FootballOutsiders.com/slash/subscribe. So we'll move on. Now to the one of the segments we do every week, and that's the worst decisions of the week by coaches. Uh, in the past, this has been fourth down decisions. It doesn't always have to be, um, especially with, with you on the show now with us, Vince, that uh, you have a good eye for a lot of different things. But mine is going to be a fourth down decision this week, and it's a surprising one that I saw, and it's from Dan Campbell, who we've raved about the last couple of years in his fourth down decision making. Uh, but late against Minnesota, he kind of slipped up a little bit. They're up 24-21, only a minute 14 left. Face fourth and four at the Minnesota 36. So a medium-ish fourth down. Chooses to kick the field goal to make it six points, but that's still a one-score game. That's something that Mike yes. uh, Tanner and I talked about on Monday. You're turning it, taking a one-score game and making it a one-score game. Now yes. they missed the field goal, gave Minnesota eight extra yards, and it's it was surprising because he was four for six on third on fourth downs to this point. Uh, he did fail on the previous drive on a fourth and one, which may have had something to do with it, but Teams act a lot differently when they're down six versus when they're down three, don't they? Yeah, uh, the, the kick to turn a one-score game into a one-score game. Rather than allowing the team to settle for a field goal that will tie you, you're now forcing them to try to score a touchdown that will beat you. 
Um, there's a, there's a suicidal element to this. Um, it's, you know, it, it's, it's something you don't want to do unless there's no, uh, uh, unless absolutely necessary. And it wasn't fourth and 14, it was fourth and four. And it's weird. I watched this game a lot and I was, I've been a fan of Dan Campbell. And, well, specifically these lions, I, I thought these lions, and they still might, as it turns out, make the playoffs. There's no one really running away in the, in the, uh, well, anywhere in the NFL, but, um, they got a two score lead in the second half. And this is a team that's been running well all year. And you mentioned they're, they're, they went for on six fourth down conversions. And I, I think all of those, they were tied or ahead. I don't think there was a case where they were, you know, trying to play, play catch up here. Um, they, uh, the one that gets me most, even more than the fourth and four in field goal range, they had a fourth and one at their own 27 up by 10 points in the fourth quarter. Now it is your own 27. That's, that's deep in your own end, but it's also only fourth and one. And the team, the thing you've done best all year is run the ball. The thing the Vikings have done worst all year is stop the run. It's a, it's a high risk situation, but I like their odds of going for it there. And again, it's not automatic. They had a field fourth and one earlier in this game. Jamal Williams got stuff. So I'm not, I'm not saying that if they had gone for it, they would have converted. But what happened instead was they kicked a punt. It only went 39 yards and then had a nine-yard return. So they punted on fourth and one and ended up with a 30-yard net punt. That's bad. And that was the point where they were 24-14. That was their lead. The Vikings take that short field score, touchdown, and it starts the comeback. And I was like in a haze after this game. Like, how did Detroit lose? I don't understand. And one of the reasons was it, 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 it's not the the fourth down conversions they didn't get. It's the ones they didn't go for it enough. <laughs> Six fourth down conversions was not enough. There's there's two more we're talking about here where they should have gone for it more. But even more to the point is what happened when he opted not to go for it on fourth down. His kickers failed him. Uh, we just talked about this this bad punt that set the Vikings up with a good field position, and they had a pair of missed field goals as well. So a lot had to go wrong for Detroit to lose this game, and unfortunately for them, it did. Yeah, and that fourth and one they didn't go for came with about 11 minutes left. I just pulled that up. And what's really interesting to me about this one is that against Minnesota last year, that's when they got their first win, they had a very similar situation where they were up, I believe, three three or four. They were winning in their own territory, around their own 30-ish. They went for it and didn't get it. But there was enough time. There was wasn't a ton of time, but enough time to where Minnesota scored quickly. Detroit got the ball back, went down, and scored a touchdown to win the game. So almost identical, not almost identical, but very similar situation. You've got the lead this time. They were up ten. It's not like a touchdown would even uh, take the lead or anything. It would cut it to three, obviously. But that is surprising to me, just because he made had the, a very similar decision last year and chose to go for it in that situation. Um, so, yeah, a couple of those we would have liked to see them go for it. And like you said, go for it six downs and six times in an NFL game, and it's still not enough. Uh, it's not something you hear very often. But unfortunately, uh, Detroit fell in this one late. Or unfortunately for the Lions, that was actually my most likely upset this week. Um, a handful of us picked that, and it almost happened, just fell short. But maybe, maybe next time for the Lions. And then one other one I want to talk about, and – this is one that we talked to, uh, about Pete Carroll a couple weeks ago, too. He's got a fourth and short field goal. They're tied at 20, fourth and one at the six. Uh, late in the third quarter, still a lot of time left in this game, but kicked the field goal to go up three. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I'm sure you saw this as a Seahawks fan. Uh, probably were tuned into this one. I did, and the weirdness of the whole thing didn't hit me until, like, after the game. So we need to go back and play. We need to go back okay. and play. 
And frankly, I should I should go back and watch this again to find out, check exactly what happened. But it it's uh, I, I've seen this reported in different places: a fourth and one, a fourth and two. There's narrow Sunday made in the score. The point is the point's the same. It's it's a it's a fourth and short inside the Atlanta ten yard line in a tie game in the third quarter. So third down, they throw incomplete to DK Metcalf. Okay, that brings up fourth down, but it stops the clock. The clock is stopped. So what they end up doing with a stopped clock in a tie game in the third quarter is calling timeout, then coming out of the timeout and kicking the field goal. This makes zero sense Mm -hmm. because you've now lost a timeout. It was inside the 10-yard line anyway. If you're confused and your field goal is not ready, you can just take the delay of game. It's still a very, very short field goal. You should make that every time. Now you've saved a timeout in in a tie game. That could be critical. So they're talking about this after the game, and this Seahawks answers make zero sense. I'm going to read these quotes to you, and you tell me if you understand what any of these people are talking about. After the third and two, Geno Smith was asked about this after the game. Geno Smith said, we were just kind of mixed up a little bit there, so it was probably best to take the points. We didn't want to just try and force it there, so we just took the timeout, kicked the field goal, and gave ourselves the lead. Okay? That's that's mm-hmm. Geno Smith's answer. Pete Carroll was asked about it after the game and said, I don't really want to talk about it too much. I don't want to tell everyone what I'm thinking. But we were going for it. And that was the mentality. And then we got a little screwed up and needed time to talk about it. I was hoping we would not be in fourth and whatever that was, two and a half or whatever. I thought we were going to be in a better situation going for it. I was thinking about going forth, possibly. Guys on the field weren't ready, so we had to call timeout. <laughs> what? Is that, a, what? So that's a Pete Carroll quote? That's not an Urban Meyer quote, right? That is a Pete Carroll quote. <laughs> My offense wasn't ready. I wanted to go for it, but they weren't ready. So I called timeout. Having time to get ready... And then kicked a field goal. What? Yeah. If Pete Carroll was your grandfather, you'd look at him taking his car keys away. <laughs> Absolutely. What is going on? Like that the the the, the 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 that process to me is so much worse than the actual decision. You 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 were going to What's happening? You were <laughs> going to go out saying you were going to go for it. Yeah, but having a chance to get organized and have a better chance of going for it, you opted to kick it. I I don't know. I don't understand. I can't help. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> That's one of those for for Pete Carroll uh, for future reference. Maybe uh, always mess up the quote, but it, better better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Might be a little extreme, but he would have been better off just saying, "I just." Wanted to go for the field goal there. I changed my mind. I, I wanted to take the sure lead. That's all you got to say. Yeah. I wanted to. I wanted to get take the lead. Taking the lead is great. Being ahead is awesome. There's nothing wrong with taking the lead. But saying you were concerned it was, when it was fourth and forever, when as he said, it's fourth and two and a half. The Chiefs went for a fourth and eleven with their punter throwing a pass. Fourth and two and a half is not fourth and forever. Uh, All right, I'm done. Yeah, really tough decision there. Like you said, I hadn't seen seen the uh, the answer. So even tougher response. But 
We, he did also have a good one, so we'll give him some credit. It takes us into our best decisions, and this is one we don't see. Like you, This is what you pointed out in our first show, I think. Fourth and two at the Atlanta 41. They're down seven uh, with 439 left. I think this was the third quarter, second quarter, actually. He chooses to go for it in this situation. This is one where we see him a lot of times opt to punt the ball instead of a long field goal or even go for it. But he, he made the right decision in this situation, which was a little surprising to me. Well, yeah, um, like I say, we just talked about one where he turned down a, a, a touchdown for a sure field goal. Usually when he is aggressive, it's in it's in the red zone area, the red area, um, especially on this day, because in, in the, especially in the first half, these offenses were rolling. Nobody was stopping much at anything. And it was big Cordero Patterson run and, and Mariota honestly dropping bombs deep downfield and. And, and Gino is the good Gino Smith games. He's, he's precision. It, it's it, it, it's it's dink and dunk, but it works. Right? Gino Smith is here's Gino Smith in a nutshell. He's currently first in the NFL in completion percentage, next to last in yards per completion. So he's going to dump down and check uh, or check down and dump off a lot. But when it works, he's finding the open guys and just needling passes into him. And and, look, and frankly, it looks great when it works. Um, so again, it was 17 to 10. We're still not even halftime yet. These, these, these offenses were on a roll and, and, and kicking the field to make it 17, 13 was not going to help you win. They had to go to the touchdown. So that's one, you know, he, he kind of reacted to the game environment. You know, it's we're going to need a lot of points to win and he went for the points. Yeah. So we would love to see that, especially from those guys that don't often operate that way. And, and the next guy I want to talk about, Frank Reich, we talked about a minute ago uh, when talking about that Colts-Chiefs game, so we won't spend too much, too much time on it. But he had three fourth downs where they went for it. Had a big one late on that final drive you were talking about, down 17 to 13. Fourth and one at their own 33, only 640 left in the fourth quarter. So it's a 5.5% increase in win probability. The big thing here for me is, is who your opponent is. Uh, it's Patrick Mahomes. How many times have we seen a team punt in this situation and never touch the ball again? So that – that's the thinking. And he went for it. And they, as you said, they had a great drive that went down and, and uh, won them the game there. And I think you're probably right. If that's not Patrick Mahomes on the other sideline, if that's your standard run of the mill average NFL quarterback, he, he there's a good chance he punts and takes his chances. I mean, 639, the, obviously we just saw the Colts run an eight minute drive. So you can kill that much time, but it's not a sure thing. And I'm not sure right off the top of my head, how many timeouts Indianapolis had then, but uh, it's not like the Chiefs were in a situation where they could have been comfortable running three times and punting. Um, so they, yeah. they, 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 punting there, you got a good chance to get a stop and get the ball back. Your defense has been frustrating Patrick Mahomes most of the day, by, by his standards especially. Um, so it, it, it's that's, that's not automatic go on the situation. And um, I, I, you know, part of it was I think he knew his his best chance to win was to score on that drive and uh, not give Mahomes a sufficient chance to get the ball back, a sufficient uh, time to, to answer back. And it was going to be, we're going to score on a long drive or we're going to lose this game. And those, those were the, he saw that as the only two options. And he, he opted to try and score on the long drive. And again, worked out for him. Yep, that's exactly what they did. Scored, won the game. A team that didn't win the game but had a good call uh, will be the last of our best decisions today. Is Levy Smith uh, out there in Houston against the Bear. I guess they were in Chicago, I believe. But from Houston, fourth and one at his own forty-six. Down 20 to 17, about a little over halfway through the third quarter. This one's not far behind Frank Reich. So it was 4.6% 4, 4. increase in uh, pre snap win probability there, which is up in the top 10 for this week. So a really good call there from Lovey Smith, um, choosing to go for it in his own territory. It's surprising to me, too, in his um, that early or with that much time left in the game, I guess I should say, a little over or almost six minutes left in the third quarter. 
So we're going to see a lot of weird decisions in Bears games, I think. Just please yeah. for this. Um, I wrote about this in quick reads. Uh, the Bears clearly do not trust Justin Fields or their ability to trust to, to uh, protect Justin Fields or both. Um, they got a run pass ratio right now. It's only three games, so it's kind of a small sample size fluke, but their run pass ratio is the likes of which we have not seen since the 1970s. Uh, they're running a prehistoric Jurassic Park kind of offense. Um, when the rest of the league is passing, they can't pass enough. The, the, the league wide run pass ratio has never been lower. Uh, the bears are going the other way hard. So it's going to lead to some strange, unusual situations like this. And if I'm Lovey Smith, and I got fourth one of my own 46, fourth one's a good chance to go for it. The worst case scenario, if I don't get it, Justin Fields has the ball, we'll just sack him anyway. Who cares? So um, it, it, I know I know it's not quite that simple. Uh, the Bears are running very well. They're running much better than the passing. That's clear. Um, but it, when you're playing a team like this, you're going to make decisions you wouldn't make against any of the 31 other teams. And uh, they're still, you know, there's only still a third quarter. And no matter how much they run, they're not going to kill 20 minutes off the clock. Yeah. You're going to get the ball back no matter what. And uh, uh, maybe because their offense, the Bears offense stinks. You give them the offense a good field position. Maybe they kick that field goal that turns a one score lead into a one score lead. Great. <laughs> so there was no downside here for Tulevi Smith for going for this fourth down. Um, and, he, and he went for it. And, and, and uh, they still ended up losing the game because the Bears are weird. Uh, and, and Houston's not very good is the other thing. But um, it, it's, you know, in, the, in that situation, you, you, you got you. We always say that the numbers we have are averages, and you kind of take that and uh, as a baseline and then adjust them up and down for the specific opponent. And usually when we talk about that, if you got a 50% to go for it, and this is a bad defense, well, that bumps it up to a 55% chance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Bears, it may be like an 80% because they're so weird. <laughs> you can't you can't they, they throw the charts out. They, 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 they don't apply to a team as strange as these, as these Chicago Bears. Yeah, sitting at two and one, not likely to last, but like you said, it's strange. Stranger things have happened, so we'll we'll see there. We'll move on to some games that should be good games. Uh, some of the biggest yeah. matchups this weekend. We usually preview one. We're gonna kind of just get a few thoughts from you on each of these games. We don't need to spend too much time on all of them because there were handful. I was looking at which one to choose, and it's like, damn, there's three of them. You know, this first one here, Jacksonville, Philadelphia. Jacksonville, the surprise, one of the big surprises of the league so far. Philadelphia. Potentially the best team in the league right now, looking just unstoppable for the most part. Um, got the Doug Peterson kind of connection there. What are you looking for in this one uh, between Jacksonville and Philadelphia? Well, there's a bunch of big games in the schedule here. I do want to call attention to one of them that's kind of up in the air at the moment. We're recording this uh, Wednesday afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, but we're still planning on getting a Kansas City Chiefs-Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, although the location is very much uh, to be determined. And I just want to take a moment. I know – by the time you listen to this, you know, it's really, I'm, I'm talking to people in the future right now. And I, I wish them the best, but uh, a lot of people are in a, a lot of trouble in Florida. My, my dad is among those who have been evacuated from the Tampa area to Kissimmee. Um, and I just want to hope, uh, you know, wish safety and health for everyone in the area and hope you got out of that. Okay. Um, yeah, as far as, unfortunately, it's Hurricane Ian. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The name of this one, but yeah, not, not like down there. Yeah, 100% there. Video, you know. Goes well. Um, but uh, I'm going to pick as the most intriguing coaching matchup here. I'm going to go with Jacksonville and Philadelphia and just go with the new coach against his old team formula. Um, we saw this in week one, and at the time it looked like 
Pete Carroll's knowledge of Russell Wilson's game uh, was the key to a victory. And given two more weeks of information, it may just be that the Broncos offense is just not very good. Um, <laughs> but it's a convenient narrative. And so I'm not sure exactly how much Peterson knows about this Eagles. It's been two years since he was there. Uh, Jalen Hurts was only his starter for four games at the end of his tenure. There's been a lot of turnover on both sides of the ball. But again, it's a convenient narrative. He, he won a Super Bowl there, uh, and, and, and the, the whole regime. I, it's going to be fascinating to look back on this, how a team went from the top to blowing it up to being a good team again all so quickly. It's only been like Three five years. 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 Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, since the Super Bowl. Yeah, five years, five, six years. Yeah. Crazy. So uh, it's, it's an intriguing match, but like you say, it, it, it's it's uh, the best team in the NFC, the best quarterback in the NFC versus the guy who uh, – the most I think it would surprise they're this good I thought they'd be a good team I did not think they'd be top, top five on both sides of the ball uh but the most surprising team in the AFC and, and maybe as the time goes on maybe this will, this will be the best AFC quarterback for the next four or five years so a lot riding on that one considering it's a non-conference game um <laughs> there's a lot of uh storylines going into that and uh should be great football yeah, and you mentioned the Kansas City-Tampa Bay game, which may end up being played in Minnesota, of all places. Uh, that's a good one. Quarterback-wise, you've got you know, Mahomes and Brady. Uh, Brady maybe getting some receivers back. Mike Evans will be back. Uh, but Andy Reid, you got the new coach, Todd Bowles, there in Tampa. Buffalo-Baltimore is the other big one this week. Should be fun between Sean McDermott and John Harbaugh, two of the better coaches in the league right now with two of the better quarterbacks. Lamar is uh, not the front runner for MVP right now, I don't think, when uh, Mike looked up the odds the other day. But pretty close uh, he's up there in the talk but the one that I like part maybe I'm by or I am biased a little bit but I'm interest, interested to see New England and Green Bay we know Mac Jones well they say they don't know if he'll be out yet from everything I've heard it doesn't sound like he's going to be back anytime soon um, but how Bill Belichick kind of had just how New England looks coming out with a backup quarterback we know how great of a coach Bill Belichick is uh, going up scheming against Aaron Rodgers trying to stop him Hasn't had great success against New England uh, in the past, I don't believe. I think just had the one win against Tom Brady before uh, going down or before last week. And so a couple of those came against New England. They don't play too often either. I do remember uh, Green Bay giving up like a 70-yard or 60-yard kickoff return to an offensive lineman or someone who caught a, a short right. kick years ago. That's right. Hopefully yes. that doesn't happen again. <laughs> was the one where he was desperately looking for someone to pitch the ball to and there was no one yes. there, so he just kept running. <laughs> Yeah, kept Only going one. and made it down to like the five yard line, ten yard line. Only but one yeah, one. seeing how, how he had his breath, <laughs> had to probably had to sit there. Oh, he had to go back out on the field. I think. So, oh god. Yeah, that was a a, a little short. I probably didn't, but yeah, that one was fun. Don't expect that again. But seeing just how Belichick tries to or goes against Rodgers and Rodgers going against Belichick, I guess it's more of him versus the co quarterback versus coach than coach versus coach. But Lafleur also back to back winner of our coach of the year award. So. Aggressive fourth down, but also uh, has been a pretty good coach with a good quarterback, has the team ready to play more often than not. So really excited to see that one again, just partially biased, but uh, I think there's some good storylines there too. And so that will do it for our week four edition of the Coach Ranking Show. Don't forget to sign up for FO Plus at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. You get access to premium stats, premium articles, fantasy rankings, our NFL picks, both against the spread and straight up. 
Uh, you get access to all of the premium stats on Monday, a day early than what you would normally get without an FO Plus subscription. Those come out for everyone else on Tuesday. You also get an ad-free experience on the website. So again, FO Plus is available at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Don't forget to join us on the uh, Football Outsiders Discord for the Thursday night football game between Miami and Cincinnati. Uh, we're available on the Discord every Thursday night during all of the games on Sunday and then on Monday night as well. And then I mentioned at the top that underdog promo, you can get a free $100 at underdog fantasy using promo code outsiders. Thank you for watching and join us again next week. Vince, I will see you next week. A fun time as always, Ian. We'll talk to you in seven days.